Welcome to Rise of the Rule Lords Unchained. It's your subtle and spectacular Rule Lord Pete here today with another special guest, Improfit, otherwise known as Joshua Birdsong. He's the writer for Sinclair's Library and Eldritch Osiris Games, but he's also been creating free Pathfinder 2e content every day for almost two years now. And it is now finally, finally coming together in an exciting new Kickstarter project called Improfit's Tome. So welcome, Joshua. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so happy that you are finally compiling all of your stuff into a book. As some people who are part of the 2e subreddit know, Improfit has been doing this for a while now. I'm just going to start referring to you as Josh. You have been, it used to be your gimmick on the 2e subreddit to post something new. It was either every day or every week. You started with these, all of these weapons that you eventually compiled and then just kept on going with different classes, different spells until some dickbag moderator for the sub said you had to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know who that was, but you did keep going in 2E Creations on Twitter and finally bringing it all together. So, I mean, the first thing I wanted to ask you is what got you started into just this spurt of creation? Uh, Yeah, it actually uh, started when I was... um first found out about Pathfinder 2E. Before that, like many other people, I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I I was, you know, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition for about five or six years. And I was like, I'm kind of kind of done everything in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I wanted <laughs> to move on to something with the, you know, uh, I wanted to make something, some new characters, some new uh, stuff. So I, I found uh, Pathfinder and I, I fell in love immediately. I loved the, the, a lot of the things about the system. It, um, but one thing I, I when I j- first jumped in, I noticed that there wasn't like a massive amount of like homebrew uh, creation online. Like I'm used to whenever I go to 5e, you can look up anything and it's someone has made five different versions of that in homebrew already. And I noticed like a, that was like a, like a hole missing in the community. So I was like, I'm, you know what? Everyone says that if you want to like start something, just do it. So I was like, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to start making stuff. The first hole that I noticed for me was um there was all these cool unique weapons in the in the game that you could play as but then if you go to like the specific magic weapons there's like when when i started there was like maybe like 35 choices and half of them were long swords mm-hmm. yeah no <laughs> so. i feel that as a martial player <laughs> swords definitely have a bit a big place in fantasy but i'm someone who always likes to have something like cool and unique when I'm a on the rare occasions where I get to be a player. The one that I am still missing is my beloved Dwarven Longhammer from first edition, which I'm keeping my fingers crossed is going to be showing up in the uh, new treasury book. But yeah, I, I, I remember your 83 forgotten weapons post finally combining all of these things. Like, tell us, like, how did you figure out 83 unique stat blocks for weapons? I mean, I'm sure the combinations are there, but you know, how did you go about making them where you felt satisfied that this wasn't just like some throwaway item, but something that someone would actually want to use in the game? Uh, it was it was a really good project to start with because because of that that unique challenge. The challenge wasn't me having to like master the game because I was still new to the game. I I had only only to master the whipping part of it, and then from there I could <laughs> I could 
practice the creative part of the game and, and work with the mechanics and slowly learn them and incorporate them into new weapons. So as I was learning new things about the game, I could incorporate that into the weapons also. And Paizo mm-hmm. also does a fantastic job of making all these weapons have their own unique personality built into the mechanics of the weapon. So some of the weapons, you know, incorporated that uniqueness to them. Like, oh, this weapon has like reach and trip. That's what this weapon is about. I can incorporate that somehow. Maybe it does extra damage when you trip someone, Or uh, you know? Uh, and a lot of the weapons are also associated with specific uh, deities. Like every deity has their favorite weapon. And, you know, why wouldn't there be a champion of this deity with this cool holy weapon that their god is busted right. on? Yeah, there's just a lot of opportunity for creativity um, in that. And it's like you tackle a challenge, like all that. The The project itself, the, the thesis was that I wanted to make a, a unique weapon for every weapon that doesn't already have a unique weapon for it. So like, I didn't make <laughs> anything for a longsword because longsword has enough love already. But um, yes, it does. for everything else, I made one. So I made a big spreadsheet. I picked out all the weapons I was going to add. And in the middle of this process, of course, Paizo makes like 100 more new weapons <laughs> that didn't make it onto the list. <laughs> yeah but uh yeah you you tackle a project like that by just doing it one day at a time like one day you eat a whale one bite at a time you just need uh the the segment the project down into smaller pieces that are bite-sized and just do it yeah and you know if if you weren't there to see that unfortunately you probably don't know about all of these awesome weapons but now you are making a kickstarter and you're combining not just the weapons that you made, but you just kept going after those by making new feats, adding on to every single one of the core and advanced player guide classes, coming up with just all kinds of new things. So like when you were coming up with these new ones, like talk about some of your favorites and like how you found gaps, I guess, that needed filling for every single one of the classes or at least maybe not gaps but like ways to improve them let's say the the thing about fantasy is that it is an infinitely broad spectrum of different ways to approach a problem like oh there's a wall in your way do i break it down with a firewall do i find a way to phase through that wall do i dig under the wall there's it's like um it's uh it's about actually uh many people say to think outside the box it's really more about thinking uh, within a box. And the more restrictions you can put on yourself, the easier it is to, to think of a solution to a problem. Like if I were to say like, hey, think of anything right now. It, it is your mind just like feels. Any, anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's too big. You can't, it, it yeah. brain freezes. You know, I would say if like, think of a gothic horror villain. Right. The box Come helps up with you. your own brand new ancestry. Go. <laughs> uh, elephant. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like when I was coming up with the ancestry, the giant king, uh, giant kin, I wanted to create a box for myself. So I was like, let's, I made a spreadsheet of every single ancestry already in the game. And I was like, what, what are the, like the stats that are already represented? And it turns out like about half of the, the answer, more than half of the ancestry in the game start with a dexterity boost and like a third of them will start with strength. So I was like, okay, if I, if I was to add something to this, it would probably be most beneficial to add a new strength based uh, ancestry into this. Let's find some combinations that aren't currently being utilized. Um, and then from there, I, I added a restriction to myself. So then that, you know, I'm not going to come up with a, a giant can class. And I was like, okay, we need another small dexterous ancestry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the giant can is actually one of the ones that stuck out to me when looking over the many different projects that you've worked on that you're including. I kind of want to dig 
a little bit more into that. Like, so what is special about the your giant kin and what keeps it balanced within the game? Because I kind of figure one of the reasons it hasn't been included is because it'd be very hard to keep uh to keep balanced within the bounds of the game where, you know, you're probably going to have a player starting off as large uh, at first level, uh, which could be a challenge for for a GM to 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 work against. So uh, what what went into building the giant? Camp? Well, that's the thing. Um, they don't start off large at first level. Ah, interesting. <laughs> I worked around the whole problem. <laughs> uh, so giant kin are, are, are not true giants they don't uh start off as as uh, large but they can grow into it um much like mm. someone would develop wings they will start off with like baby steps where maybe it can fly like for one turn for uh once a day until eventually they can do it like they can do it for an hour and then eventually they're just like permanently flying I-, I do that that similar uh momentum of of ancestry feats building up to permanent uh giantness mm, okay so you kind of followed the same outline as other ancestries that build up to a yes a shtick of some kind. absolutely and and of course you know there's lots of flavors of giants there's the, all the traditional cloud cyclops fire frost goliath rune giants storm giants and troll trolls also and all of them come with their own you know unique ancestry features that are available like trolls can eventually like regeneration and uh you know breathing fire and all the all the fun elemental giant things are in there as well and of course, uh, one of their core abilities that all giants are known for is uh, throwing rocks. So rock throw is built into the core <laughs> uh, mechanic of the giantkin. Oh, cool. <laughs> I like that. Yep. A couple of other things that you have on here that are pretty unique is the pacifist yes. options mm-hmm. that you have. It's hard to imagine Pathfinder without combat, you know, yeah. just being a uh, either a social campaign or uh, a totally pacifist one yes tell us a bit about your pacifist options Mm -hmm. and how that keeps the game going yeah so the pacifist options kind of break down in a couple of different ways um pacifism doesn't necessarily mean that like i will just not participate in this fight but maybe you go about uh participating in a fight in a way that you're not you're not hurting anyone uh, or you're trying to um to to help your allies and opposed to to um detriment and in it so um I added some skill options to use diplomacy uh, in different ways. I added some abilities that uh, instead of increasing the damage of your allies, maybe you just reduce the overall damage people are going to take um, in this combat to make the, the combat less dangerous um, and things like things such as that. And they're going to be uh, pretty well incorporated into the rest of this because um, there isn't going to be like a pacifist chapter in the book, but like the options will be like a, the skill options will be in the skill section. The spell options will be entangled in with the rest of the spell options in the book. But the, um, yeah, I, I thought it, uh, I know a lot of people. I, I've played um, a lot of different role playing games with a lot of different people on like big servers of players. And there are so many character concepts where it's like, I just want to be like a guy who goes in there and, and tries to like stop fights from happening. Or I want to, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to actually hurt anyone. Even if we do have to sure. fight, I'll just be in the back healing or something. And this gives you like right. a more dynamic way to, to participate in, in fights, you know, that isn't just spamming heal the whole time. Yes. And I totally get that. I'm the kind of GM who loves it when my players are able to, not just able to, but actively want to find a way to to fix a problem without instantly going into combat. In fact, one of my biggest GM pet peeves <laughs> is when players decide to go 
instantly to violence or intimidation or or something like that it's like it's so boring and overplayed so yeah um i'm really glad that these are included and are going to be available to people um but you've also got each individual class yeah expanded (laughs) the room of rangers yeah cleric crew deluge of druids first off i love the alliteration (laughs) That you have with it's, the names it's really funny because um i i always I, I just started doing it and i never stopped and i just thought it was a fun <laughs> thing to do when i did it and then someone uh, messaged me once on um on either reddit or twitter but they were like hey i i wanted to make some some stuff for pathfinder and i kind of wanted to do some alliteration in the name would that be all right i don't want to steal your brand and i was like yeah <laughs> go for it i didn't invent alliteration <laughs> no but yeah. it is it is really cool uh so you know like mm-hmm. inkling of investigators yeah tell us a bit about your class improvements what are some of the things that players who are playing the core mm-hmm. classes of pathfinder are going to get out of your materials uh, they're gonna get more um and, and every class is like there isn't one approach to make new content for each class because every class functions completely differently um it they don't all fall under like the same subclass grouping that 5e does like uh cleric was was a really challenging one because there's only two examples uh you have cloistered and you have um a war cleric so i i was like oh well um the more examples you have the better you can balance things uh, against paizo and that was that was a challenging one. Another particularly challenge one, challenging one was the um, investigator because there's uh no, not the investigator. I'm thinking of the swashbuckler. So the swashbuckler was ex- exceptionally challenging because all of theirs are built around a particular skill that's used in combat, and they they covered most of them with the ones they released. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so like for hmm? the for the swashbucklers, so yes. how how'd you get past that? Uh, I had to get creative. Um, the ones I came up with, I only came up with two for this one, which was a, a rather small amount for what I normally do. Uh, but I came up with the, the skill action of, um, trick magic item as, as the one that, that gets it. So they're, they're called the magical hacker. So they can get panace by tricking magic items in combat. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Tricking them. Mm-hmm. And then the other one I have, I call it the schemer. And this one uses crafting and plant snares in combat. And they can get panache by getting enemies to, to trigger their snares. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I like those. Yeah, so that, that one's about like setting up the battlefield and working with teammates to try to get to get that panache off and set and kind of like a MacGyvering a plan to have it. Like, if it comes together perfectly, <laughs> it'll be so awesome. And that's how, that's how you get your panache by, by coming up with some convoluted plan of, <laughs> of snares and traps and environmental hazards. I'm I'm thinking of Scooby Doo and how they always came up with really intricate yep. traps <laughs> that a hundred percent never worked out. Nope. <laughs> but still, that's yeah. pretty cool. I like that because yeah, the you typically wouldn't think of traps as being anything outside you know the domain mm-hmm. of really like you know the ranger. Yeah. So that's interesting that you got it incorporated into the swashbuck. But like, what are a couple of your favorites? of all of these and like tell <laughs> yeah. tell us about them uh i i have always loved barbarians barbarians have always been one of my favorites and that that is one of the reasons i chose it uh to be one Bag of the of example example pages and that's one of the first ones i did too the barbarians i love i love 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 barbarians um and one of the, one of my favorite ended up being the uh which is the showcase the example ones if you go to my kickstarter you can actually see this one it's the primal barbarian which which everyone wants to play a barbarian that can cast spells 
it's something that like if you put a restriction on a class like hey this class can do all these things but it can't do this one thing you know every (laughs) player will want to find a way to do that one thing with the class sure (laughs) (laughs) so uh i did not give the barbarian spells (laughs) instead i gave them um spell like abilities they can do while raging Mm. um uh, and I gave them one of the the key f- features with this is they they don't do as much damage on hit with their rage, but they can instead uh, w- once per rage do a, a spell like ability. Uh, it's called a primal surge, where they they burst forth this elemental power based on their primal instinct. Um, and it oh. and it can be done with one, two, or three actions. And uh, the the damage that you're losing from your rage comes out through this expression. So you can either do it as a touch, as a as a range of a single target within thirty feet, or as a thirty foot cone if you use three actions. Right, and it deals um uh we'll do d six plus rage damage, and that uh increases by a d six every uh two levels. Oh, interesting. So, so it scales with of, your level and with your rage damage. I kind of pictured a Dragon Ball Z yeah scream yeah. That time. <laughs> and they can get all sorts of feats too. Like they can get a once per rage heal. Um, mm-hmm. they can get a. An ability um, where they can refuel themselves to do these again if they need to at a higher level, and then they they can get all sorts of ways to amplify their um their raging uh spell like abilities with their feats. Ooh, all right. So <laughs> spell casting. Well, yeah, not technically. Spell no, not casting, technically but... spell casting. <laughs> they don't get spell the diversity like of all five hundred spells in the game, but they can they can do spell like effects for sure. <laughs> they can they can they can trick someone into thinking they're casting a spell. Well, that definitely fills a niche, I think. So oh, yeah. that's one more point towards your book. But you're not just adding on to the ones that we already know and love. You are coming up with your own, though it's not technically your own. It's existed for a while, but it's also uh, kind of a fan favorite. It's the Warlock, which many people know is a class that exists in 5e, but has not been brought over to Pathfinder 2e in an official capacity for whatever reason. So tell us, what is a warlock? What's the niche that it fits? And what's the fantasy of playing one? Uh, yeah, uh, the traditional warlock uh, will be uh, a, the, the, the character who has made a deal with the devil to gain some <laughs> kind of power. And now, oh no, I have this power, but now I regret this deal kind of situation which comes up in so many different fantasy tropes uh there's always some kind of like oh i gain power at a cost and um unlike the witch you know what this cost is you you have this sword hanging over your head and you know you did made a mistake this (laughs) this isn't a mysterious god of healing that's leading your path somehow or or um some kind of grand unknown uh thing that you would get with the witch this is this is a this is a contract that you've signed and you've you've dotted the I's, crossed the T's, and you know what's coming for you. So you better uh, make use of this power while you got it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that it, is the draw to the warlock. That is the uh, the fantasy. It, it comes with a bunch of different packs mm-hmm. for for each of those ones. So celestial, fathomless, fey. Yeah, and each one of them has a reward and a punishment. Yeah. So. Yeah, tell tell us a bit about those. So this is for the uh, the more RP side of this, and this is an optional rules. The, these are very similar to um to the deity options that are in Gods of Magic. Whereas if you're if you're uh, 
doing deeds in favor of your deity, they will give you some kind of small boon or some, um, and if you're doing things against it, they can en- enact some kind of um, bane against you. And this is, this functions the same way where if you're upholding the deals of the, the tenets of your pact or doing what they say, this, this is the way that um, if, a, if a GM is looking for a way to like, wow, they made this contract, but they're just like actively going against them in every single way. Is there anything I can do to uh, deter the player somehow from from just like completely ignoring this 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 massive part of their character um right and that's where the punishments and rewards come in and like i said this is entirely optional um but if a, if a gm is looking for something instead of just uh ma- having something that they need to make out of thin air on the spot they they can like, refer to this as some examples uh and there's of course minor moderate and major rewards and punishments for each of them and there's that a, is fascinating mechanic especially because it's more for the GM <laughs> yeah. than the, the player. Yes, I love th- it. this is not something that a player should be able to plan around. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have like a three paragraph thing at the beginning explaining how it should be used and when it should be used and whatnot. Yeah, and one of the biggest parts about the Warlock is the Eldritch Blast, yes. which is the first thing that it gets as a first level cantrip. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk about that. Yes. I also want to bring up that uh, your warlock functions what looks like to me a lot like how the Magus mm-hmm. and the Summoner do, where you're not just going to keep on compounding spells after spell after spell. Yes. Uh, you've only got a certain amount that you're going to get access to at each level, and you're going to lose mm-hmm. access to lower level stuff as you heighten. So... Tell us about the Eldridge Blast and how the Warlock spellcasting works. Yeah, so uh, like you said, it is the bounded spellcasting you've seen the Magus and the Summoner. Asterix, and we'll get to that asterisk later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they do have some some benefits, because these, the, the, unlike the Magus and, and the um, Summoner, they have something else that's like dramatically increasing their damage output to make up for that fact. They have either like a giant animal companion that's doing a, a ton of things, or they have like uh, equally proficient melee options and, and spell strikes and, and whatnot that they can do. Um, this doesn't have either of those two things. It does get a very cool cantrip that, and on lots of cool ways to buff that cantrip, and that is the the Eldritch Blast cantrip. Um, like you said, it uh, and and also the, they they get spellcasting proficiency a little bit faster than normal spellcasters. So their their cantrips are going to be more potent than um, other spellcasters because they'll be they'll be hitting more often with it. Right. Um, and they can make better use of the small resources they have. Uh, but the Eldritch Blast con- uh, con- cantrip that that's where the money is at. Um. And it, it, it is very, very similar to the 5th the edition iteration of it. It's going to shoot out multiple different beams. You make a different attack roll for each one of them. Each one does 1d4 force damage. And uh, all of them count. Do not They all add to your multiple attack penalty, but you don't apply it until after all attacks have been made. Hmm. You start with 2, and then every uh, 2 spell levels, you get another bolt. Okay. So uh, what's what's that look like, then? What What's like a famous warlock that... <laughs> uh, someone might might think about when they're playing this class oh it's a famous warlock oh they're everywhere in media but uh man um i can i can only think of right now the most recent uh book series i read i do a lot of uh fantasy reading that's where i get a lot of inspiration from uh mm-hmm. i finished the uh lycanius trilogies which is starts with the shadow of what was lost um one of the main characters there i would say uh definitely made a deal with something somewhat unintentionally but uh, I gave them some some tremendous powers. Um, and, uh, oh man, it's hard to talk about this because I don't want to spoil anything. But <laughs> <laughs> I gave the example and immediately regretted it. 
it's a fantastic book series. I highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, he, he made a deal with, with something that he thought was may have been a God. Um, and it turned, it gave him a lot of cool powers, but boy, did it come at a cost. And, uh, and it also, you know, he had to deal with all the other people who were also getting cool powers because of this, this, this deal that was made. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Um, the, the L just blast shooting like a ton of bolts at, at someone is just like, it's a really like almost magic missile kind of fantasy where you're shooting a ton mm, of missiles okay. every single turn. Uh, and it's just, it, it, it plays very, it's very fun to make a lot of, to roll a lot of dice and to make a lot of attacks. Uh, if you're doing, L, yeah. And if you're doing Elder Spass, I recommend doing all your attack rolls at once. If you're targeting one person, just to speed it up a little bit, but it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's a lot of fun. Um, and there's lots of different ways to modify, increase it and to edit it uh, similar to how you can do it in fifth edition. So the Eldridge Blast is a cantrip. It has heightened, so it's going to increase naturally as people go on, but you've also got a lot of different feats that attach onto it. So how's the Eldridge Blast going to improve as player levels up? Yeah. So right off the bat, you have ways to make your Eldritch Blast unique with whatever pack you take. Say if you were to take the Celestial pack, you can choose to have your uh, Eldritch Blast do positive damage, which, you know, force is always very good, but sometimes you want to trigger that weakness or you just want to mm. be flavorful shooting out blasts of positive energy. But they can also be modified in other ways, such as uh, via feet and uh, invocations, which are... Uh, a very, very fun mechanic that allows you to customize your warlock to fit whatever playstyle you want to do. And you can totally double down on, I want to shoot cantrips and I want them to be the best cantrips in the world. Uh, there, there are <laughs> also lots of other options you can do with that. Um, one example would be the Forceful Blast feat at fourth level, which allows you to um, have the option that if you target a single creature with all of your just Blasts, uh, you can push them back five feet whenever you hit them. Oh, cool. Yeah, and there's, there's all sorts of little ones. Um, uh, at six level, every single pact would get uh, a unique feat that they, they can take that will allow them to uh, trigger some kind of extra effect with their Elgis Blast, almost like a meta magic that only applies to Elgis Blast. Mm-hmm. Such as um, Grass of the Unrelenting Sea for the Fathomless Pact allows them to uh, cast Elgis Blast, and then it will give them a chance to to restrain them and like as the, your Elgis Blast almost become like tentacles that come out and wrap around them. Very nice. So there's definitely a big difference between the feats and the invocations. So tell us about the invocation mechanic. Uh, That seems similar to like the unique mechanics of of other classes of, you know, this very specialized thing that they get. So um, how do those work? Yeah. So anyone who's played fifth edition or played a warlock knows that they're the coolest thing about the warlock is the invocations and the ability to customize your warlock to be whatever you want it to be. Unfortunately, their invocation system is almost exactly like the feat system in Pathfinder that every class has access to. <laughs> so everyone gets to be unique. But uh, So I wanted to give them something else that, that makes them different with their invocation. And the path I went down is is core proficiencies. So uh, the general warlock has, has very low uh, core proficiencies compared to other things. It will get saving throws upgrades and its armor will increase once. And that's about all they're going to get. So uh, what you can do with your invocations is you can specialize your your warlock. You can take a bunch of weapon training ones to eventually get up to uh, masters and weapons at 18th level. If you spec down that tree and get um, all sorts of attack opportunity and things such as that, you could go down a defensive one if you wanted the bulkier armor. You could get more spell slots. Uh, you could be uh, there's a, a set called the Eldritch Conduits that you can get that will allow you to to, ca- to pick one occult spell. Uh, at a certain level and cast it twice per day without expending any spell slots 
Uh, there's also ways to improve your skill proficiencies. There's a, a line of skill proficiency boosting ones if you wanted to be a very versatile, skill-heavy uh, um, caster. And there are even ways that you can um, use these invocations to create special uh, items, uh, Eldritch Focuses, that can uh, give you item bonuses to cantrip attacks and cantrip damage. And I was talking with Vanessa Hoskins about her kineticist class. She mentioned the uh, the Warlock a lot. And there were seemed like there were a lot of similarities between uh, the Eldritch Blast and the Kineticist's uh, Key Blast, or I forget exactly what it was called. But uh, essentially, you're both doing blasts, uh, improving them, the Kineticist Gate. Uh, so how is your Warlock uh, going to stay, you know, true to the class and unique to Paizo's Kineticist? Uh, yeah, I think this is going to be quite different in a couple of different ways. Um, the first one uh, being that the the way that they're approaching the kineticist almost seems to be like from a martial first perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is definitely coming from a casting first perspective. Uh, and I believe Vanessa even brought that up as the difference between her kineticist and the kineticist that is being built by Paizo, is that hers is more of a caster and and Paizo's is more of a marshal. Mm-hmm. And that that's going to be the first primary one. And the second one is just going to be the the general flavor of the class altogether. It's almost the difference between a, a druid and and a and a and a bard or a witch. It's your your spells are going to be a little bit weirder and not so much the elemental sense and a much more of the occult sense of the world. Um mm-hmm. I, I think this class will be a bit uh more similar to a psychic than it would be a kineticist oh interesting yeah and i i built this before the psychic came out but (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i think i think uh it'll be a similar play style in a different flavor gotcha well cool i'm sure that there's a lot of people from coming from 5e who discovered the light of pathfinder second edition (laughs) might be listening that warlock and you're going to be filling in that gap for them so that's really really um but we're hoping that you can actually go a little bit further than that with uh, your Kickstarter if you can hit some stretch goals. So looking at it right now, uh, depending on how well you do, you're going to start adding options to all of the classes that have been introduced in books after the Advanced Player's Guide. Magus, yes. Gunslinger, Inventor, Psychic, Thaumatage. Uh So... Tell us a little bit about what people might be able to expect from those classes if we can get those stretch goals. Yeah, uh, so I have strategically stayed away from these classes for quite some time now in anticipation of the Kickstarter stretch goals. Um, but I, I, I have a couple of ideas floating around for them. Uh, but they, these are these are one of the things where I, I don't know what I'm going to write till I sit down and I start writing them. Gotcha. And <laughs> uh, I have some some interesting ideas for the inventor for sure. Uh, that's one I really wanted to play around with. But I have I held myself back for the people and for the for the Kickstarter. <laughs> um, but I, I'm very excited about uh, the opportunity to finally dive into these classes. Uh, I I've done a a massive crash course on summoner recently also because i had a player in one of my campaigns who wanted to play a summoner and i was like okay time to get out the book and actually learn how this class works (laughs) (laughs) i'd probably be adding some mounted options that are are more uh additive than what the summoner already has because they have very limited options for actually making mounted combat Mm. not a horrible idea (laughs) (laughs) and that's something i could see a lot of people wanting to do you got this mm-hmm. awesome pokemon like creature of course you're mm-hmm. gonna want to ride it <laughs> you want to ride the dragon yeah uh <laughs> me personally i'm 
someone who's been really wanting to try out the gunslinger do you have any previews for for that one so let's see we have right now we have the the sword and and gun we have the gunslinger we have the sniper and we have the shotgun why not get a rocket launcher in there Ooh. (laughs) okay I like, I like, I like big boom. I, I'm a barbarian player. I want things to go boom. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Well, awesome. Well, we really hope that you can reach both your goal as well as the stretch goals. And again, the project is called Improfits Tome. It's available on Kickstarter. I'm going to have links in the description below. I really hope that you all will uh, go support it. Uh, I'm a big fan of Improfit's work, again, because all of the stuff that he was doing in the 2E community, um, well before most of these 2E Kickstarters uh, started going, before Pathfinder Infinite even. So it's cool to finally have a way to collect all of these things in in one book, rather than, you know, needing to find Improfit's you know, profile pages and stock through all of his pictures and post history on Reddit. Uh, so I'm really hopeful to get one of these to get a book into my hands. Um, but if people want to, you know, find more of you, uh, look up more of your projects, where can they find you? And, you know, what what can you tell them about other work? Yeah, uh, the easiest place to find me will probably be Twitter. I'm at at improfit with a zero instead of an O. Uh, the the zero was the O the O was taken. So I had to settle with a zero. Oh, what a joke. Uh, but other than that uh, i'm on uh the various uh pathfinder 2e pathfinder 2e creations uh reddit and uh i'm on uh, several different pathfinder discords but the twitter would be the easiest place to find me uh and yeah if you want to find any of my work about once a week or so when i finish a project i will post the the project and a link to my entire catalog of public work and that'd be the uh the easiest place to find it you could also scroll through my feed and find one of the previous projects i've done that for and uh yeah some of the stuff i've been working on is i've been writing for uh st Clair's library which is no kickstarter book that's coming out uh it's gonna it's almost done we're 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 getting there there's a lot of writing been going on by a lot of very talented people and i'm i'm honored to be a part of that project yeah i also i also write for eldritch osiris games and I, you know, do some freelance work every now and then. So I, you might see my name in a credit somewhere. That would be cool. Here's hoping that you get into some Paizo official stuff pretty soon. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I've been waiting, <laughs> waiting for the email. <laughs> One day it's going to come. I know it. But uh, I'm so glad that you were able to come on to the podcast. Talk to us about this. I'm glad again that you have this project going on. And again, I really hope that you, the listener, We'll go on and back it because it's a really cool project, a really cool third-party content creator, and I really want to support them whenever they get going. One of the ways that we're doing that as the 2E subreddit uh, pretty soon will be with third-party con. Stands for, well, TPK is what the initials for it are. Um, it is essentially going to be the PaizoCon of third-party content we're going to have a streaming schedule where we're going to have a series of co-hosts talking to different content creators uh freelancers uh bloggers producers all of that stuff uh where uh you'll be able to hear about their projects what went into them how they went and made them just like podcasts and we're also going to have a play section where you'll be able to try out 
uh, different Pathfinder 2E third-party classes, skills, feats, items, and for GMs, monsters, um, as well as different adventures that some of these people have produced. Um, so that might be a very good time to come and try out one of these uh, different class features or maybe even the Warlock from Improfit's Tome. But, but until next session, don't let the rules rule you. Yeah.